2: Presented by Botano, Nick Alberga and Jay Rosso back together for another summer hit at the Leafs Nation 401 where you can subscribe to our YouTube page also or available wherever you find your podcast, just search Leafs Morning Take. It's hard to believe, but it's been 35 years since the most polarizing and impactful trade in NHL history went down. On August 9th, 1988, the Los Angeles Kings bought Wayne Gretzky from the Edmonton Oilers, a.k.a. acquired him as well. We're getting old. Even though we realize we're a Leafs show, it's important to recognize history, especially with something like this. On top of that, we have a very cool guest today with great ties to this trade. We're now happy to be joined by the former owner of the Los Angeles Kings, the man responsible for bringing Wayne Gretzky to Hollywood. It is Bruce McNall. Bruce, thanks so much for doing this. How are you?
3: Okay, good. Thank you. Sure.
2: Do you ever get tired of talking about the Wayne Gretzky trade? That's my first question to you.
3: Uh, I'm tired now yes I, I think i've talked about more than anything in my life absolutely it's kind of crazy
2: and you were saying you you talked to wayne in the last couple of days obviously this time you're you have like a billion of these conversations no
3: oh yeah i mean i, I i'm happy to do them and you know i, I talked to wayne and we we talk all the time about various things and uh yeah so but it's uh it's so long ago our lives have so changed obviously that it's a uh, It's a weird thing. That's all I can say. It's just very strange to me.
2: August 9th, 1988. What do you remember about that monumental day?
3: Well, it was a bit crazy because before that, uh, up until that very day, I wasn't sure the trade was going to happen because I was continually worried about the press getting a hold of it, guys like you, uh, and then blowing the whole thing up. I was worried about, um, and then when we actually, when finally the deal was done, I thought it was done. We flew up in my jet with, Wayne and I flew up to Edmonton in my jet for the press conference. And then Pockington, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers at the time, and Glenn Sather, the GM, uh, took Wayne aside and said, we want to talk to you. I said, oh, Jesus, now what? Well, it turns out they told him, look, you know, we're we're happy to cancel this whole thing right now if you want to. And Wayne said, no, I'm a king. Bye-bye. But believe me, up until that instant, I was nervous. So that was that. And then, of course, press conference happened. And then we flew back to L.A. and we had a press conference there. The press conference in Los Angeles before the Gretzky Pray consisted of maybe one or two beat writers, you know, uh, maybe one radio station. And that was it. We go back to this press conference we had. There were like hundreds and hundreds of people. It was shocking to me, not to Wayne. Wayne thought he kind of expected it, but for me, it was kind of crazy. So a great moment, though.
0: At the time, Bruce, did you <clears throat> did you put together how impactful that would be to not just your team and not just the surrounding area, but just to hockey in general, especially in the United States? Did you realize the lasting effect that was going to have? No.
3: Honestly, uh, I I I didn't realize it. I'm not sure Wayne did either. I think we both were trying to... Make our team better, uh, and to bring awareness to hockey in Los Angeles and the West Coast area. Because uh, at that time, as you know, there was nobody cared about the game. You could buy a ticker for three dollars and sit on the ice; it didn't matter. And so we had to find a way to build that up. And LA is a star-studded town. You have to have a star, and the only guy that anybody knew in my life was Wayne Gretzky. They couldn't name another player. So, with, with all due respect, you weren't playing then; otherwise, we would have named you. <laughs> But they they didn't know anybody, so I knew I had to get Gretzky, and that was a big challenge. We went through months and months and months of drama getting him, uh, but we did not know it was going to be that impactful uh, in terms of what's happened in the in the you know the, the later with the a number of franchises built up as a result of it. Uh, we did fight. We did work hard hard because we would go to all these cities in the offseason season to play exhibition games to see if hockey would take off there. And every place we went, it was a huge sellout. So I guess that happened.
2: Yeah, I, th- I would call it a win looking back 35 years later. But the genesis, genesis of the trade, I think, is the most common thing that people ask about or think about. Like, how long were the two sides conversing on that potential deal, obviously knowing what it meant for the hockey world?
3: Well, it was, what happened was I was bugging Peter Pockington from the time I bought the team, half the team in 1986. I was seen at the Board of Governors meetings. I was, I was on the Board of Governors then even though only only Jerry Buss and I own a piece of it. Jerry said to me, I used to ask Peter about Gretzky and he would blow me off. So I went to Peter and he'd blow me off again. So I kept bugging him. And then surprisingly, in the, I think, maybe early part of 88 uh, sometime, maybe March or April, he called me and he said, are you still interested in the Gretzky thing? I said, yes. So let me tell you, I need $15 million US cash now. I need." Draft picks, I need players. I said, okay, you got it. Done. And that's how it started. But we had to retain, we had to maintain this only between myself and Peter at the time. Uh so there was no general managers. Rogie Benshaw was my GM at the time. He wasn't involved. Nobody was involved uh, until we finally came up with that. And then Peter insisted that Glenn Sader get involved. And when I talked to Seder, he said, I don't give a damn what Peter Popkin says. He he's not going anywhere. He was furious. So I told Peter, I said, "Well, I you know, Sanders says no." He said, "Well, he doesn't know the team." So we started getting into uh, into it with that and went back and forth with various options. And what happened was, oddly enough, Gretzky. Um, I knew I knew Wayne. You know, he would. I was an owner. He was a you know player. He would always come up to me and, "How you doing?" He asked me for his tickets to the Celtic Laker playoff game, which I got him with him and Janet. So, you know, we knew each other, go out to dinner and so on. So, anyway, I knew this was happening. I said to Wayne, Wayne, a, a trade is maybe imminent. He didn't believe me. I said, okay. He would come to my office. So, in the office, one day he's there and Pothkinson calls. So, I put him on the speaker. Wayne's there. I don't tell him I put him on the speaker. And Peter said, Talks about the trade and kind of puts like Wayne was, you know, he's whining a lot. He's complaining all the time. Maybe it's better for you to move on. Well, when Wayne heard that, it was the end of it. Then he said, okay, I'm a king. Let's deal with this. Then he became my general manager. He basically instructed me, we need to get Marty McSorley, try to get Cruz Lininsky. He's a good second-line center for me. Uh, you cannot give up Robitaille, which is what they wanted badly. And you have to stagger the draft picks, not get the, all of the big lump free first round draft picks. Stagger them every other year. So he was kind of helping me strike, strike the deal, and that's how it took place.
2: And that was the most underrated part of the story. It was almost like the LeBron factor. I think the unique thing about the thing LeBron, like anywhere he goes, he's mm-hmm. dictating who's on his team. Uh, how difficult was it? Difficult to navigate around that? I guess not, because you're getting Wayne Gretzky, right?
3: Exactly. I mean, who cares? I remember Peter said to me. Way back when he was not interested in the trade, he said, look, you can give me the whole team, your whole team. And I couldn't, I wouldn't trade Gretzky for him. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the whole team. And he said, no. So it gives you an idea. <laughs> um, but you know, Wayne was um, look, you know, Wayne is extremely knowledgeable. He feels like he's, you know, he is the person that would best be capable of helping direct it both in the trade And then subsequently, when we actually were playing, uh, he had a big influence, obviously, because he is the greatest player in the world.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
2: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: And he would have the best, the better idea, I thought, of what should be done. And he helped
0: that a lot but bruce uh the people in edmonton <clears throat> being as devastated as they were they needed someone to blame obviously besides Pocklington. i think janet took quite a bit of heat as like the yoko ono who broke up uh you know the relationship between them do you think the fact that janet was from la um and that's where you guys were based did that have anything to do with it or was it just uh, a convenient uh scapegoat
3: yeah she had really not a lot to do with it she was very much in favor of it obviously. She didn't dictate anything, um, but you know, she, she, you know, what did she influence Wayne a little bit? Possibly, you know, I don't, I didn't feel it. She was, I think, she got blamed a little bit unfairly. Luckily enough, in Edmonton, for me, I was never blamed. You know, they thought, well, you know, who wouldn't try to get Gretzky, right? So, yeah. I, I always felt the fans in Edmonton were great that way. They always treated me wonderfully, uh, Peter. Not so much. They, they were not too happy. But, you know, for me, it was great. So, yeah. And the other problem I had with the Gretzky trade was Wayne only had two years remaining on his contract. So now I, have, I give him all these players and I give him all this cash. So I go to Wayne and I said, Wayne, uh, we have to do your contract. He said, OK. I said, well, how much do you want? He said, I don't know. I said, well, I don't know either. So I went back and I talked to Magic Johnson. I found out how much he made. He was the highest-paid athlete in the world at that time. He was making $3 million a year. Okay. Wayne was making under a million at Edmonton, Okay, about $975. So I go to Wayne. I said, okay, how about I pay you the most money any athlete has getting now $3 million a year? And Wayne said, no, no, that's crazy. For hockey, no, no, no. I'll tell you what. Pay me $2 million a year and put $500,000 aside to get some free agents because I have to be able to pass a puck to somebody who can shoot the damn thing. And, and, uh, and then another 500,000 away for playoff bonuses for the players. So that's what we did. I made one adjustment. And I talked to, to his father, um, Walter, and I said, well, you know, Walter, I'll make one adjustment, which is that Wayne Gretzky will always be the highest paid player mm-hmm. in the game. Period. And so we put that in the deal. And, uh, and that worked out great until my buddy, Howard Baldwin, one of the Pittsburgh Penguins, got Mario Lemieux. So he would Jack Mario up. Then I had to Jack Wayne up. We found out later on that, you know, we didn't realize we both had the same contract, the same deals. He had the same deal with, with Lemieux. He was the highest player. So Jesus, every time I Jack Wayne up, he Jacked Mario up. Then I had to Jack Wayne up. It was pretty funny. So <laughs> it all worked out well, though.
2: In essence, what you're telling us, you're to blame for Austin Matthews wanting 15 million bucks a year. McDavid getting his money. Marner getting his money. But honestly, I mean, it triggered a big time rise in NHL salaries in the 90s. Uh, what do you make of, of sort of the pay scale in this day and age? Because it's, it's a constant conversation we have covering the Leafs with all the big boys there.
3: Well, first of all, let me mention, you know, it is nice to see a guy like Austin Matthews playing in the NHL since he came from the West Coast. That was yeah. cool. His parents, I think, were, I don't know, they were Duck fans or something. or the, But it was kind of fun. Uh, the answer is this. I have a completely different view of the whole situation. Wayne Gretzky filled seats. He helped with every aspect of the game, raising revenues in all categories, radio, television, uh, you know, everything. What player does that now? Maybe you could argue in, in Toronto, Austin Matthews, Mike. Maybe you could argue uh, Sidney Crosby did. Maybe you could argue, uh, uh, you know, now you have a big-time player in Edmonton. Maybe he could do it. But still, you know, Wayne was unique that way. So my view of things are this. You know, it isn't about the stats, okay, because somebody would argue, well, actually got 200 points. I got 100. I should get half what he gets. No, I don't think so. You know, you're a good player, but you're only another player, you know? And and the, so I think that the, the revenues, I mean, it depends on this day and age because nowadays you have salary caps. We didn't at the time. And it's based upon the revenue that the league pulls in and how much that should be shared with the players. As far as what individual players should get, you know, okay, I, you're dealing with stats a lot. I think it has more to do with what they what they bring to the revenue stream of that team
0: going back to the trade bruce like you say jumping through all the hoops and so many times the deal almost fell apart but when it actually happened and wayne's playing and i mean the forum's just packed and the celebrities are pulling up and wheeling in and every all the craziness and you just exploded hockey onto the scene thanks to this deal you put together Did you have to pinch yourself and look around and say i can't believe this is happening
3: i, I do to this day i mean it's amazing that i think about Jeez, I mean, whoa. You know, when you have, like you say, superstars in film and television calling you, bugging you, can I get a ticket? You know, we'll buy them, we'll do this, we'll do that. And and then, you know, the US President Reagan would call me all the time, we're coming to the game. I said, okay, how many Secret Service people you got with you? That's my only issue. I'll get you the seats, but (laughs) Secret Service is not a problem. So it was amazing that what happened, and I I honestly wasn't quite ready for it. I didn't, I didn't realize it would be that impactful. I knew it would be big, but I didn't realize it was that big. I think Wayne did, frankly, but I, I, and I do pinch myself to this day about what impact it made.
2: And most specifically, like working alongside Wayne Gretzky, I told you off the air, like we had a chance to go one-on-one with the great one early in July and just salt to the earth. I've interviewed him a bunch of times. It was Rosie's first time meeting him. Like he's pretty much as advertised on TV. That's the amazing thing about Wayne Gretzky, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, he is, he is what he is. He is not, um, you know, he's a, he's a Grandford hometown boy, you know, he's not a, uh, and that, that's what he is. He's not arrogant. He's not. Um, in any way, shape, or form think of himself in that manner. If you ask him who was the greatest player in hockey, he would never say himself. He would say Gordy Howard or Bobby Orr or something like that. He would never talk to himself in that way. Um, and, you know, that's who he is. He's a very, very honest, down-to-earth guy who is just an amazing... That's what made him great off the ice as well as on the ice.
2: So, Can you believe it's been 35 years i
3: I feel really old, oh. you know, that, you know, I was one of the youngest owners in the NHL at the time. And, um, you know, and now all of a sudden like, Whoa, you know, I was, how did I get this old? What happened? You know, <laughs> it's like all these years when Wayne and I speak, it's like, you know, he's like 60, 61 or something, you know, I'm 73. Like what? What happened? You know, Time,
2: time flies. It's It it, it always resonates with me because I was born on August 7th, 1989. So it was like a year and three days before I was born. And so it always resonates that it was in the month of August. Bruce, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for taking a trip down memory lane. 35 years. Appreciate your time today. We're happy to. You got it.